I do want to point out that if by chance you were unable to be here last week for the last um, lesson of the book of Acts, I would, I would strongly urge you just to, to get on the podcast and listen to that. And, and it, might, it might serve some benefit. If you were here, that particular lesson might be one of those things where you could just sit down at your table with your Bible and a glass of tea or coffee and, and go through it again. We're about to start a, tonight is the first night of a series that I'm, that I'm teaching on principles, and I want to jump right into the Word. I'll get to Second Peter in a moment, um, but first let's just establish a working definition for the word principle. This is, uh, what, what I'm presenting here is a, is a very in-depth, um, it's not a, it's an in-depth pattern of life. And I'd like to tell you that, that, um, that there's, there's a bunch of books out there that we could, that we could read, but what I'm teaching you over the next four weeks are really born out of a lifetime of, of learning, of trial and error, of, uh, of understanding of Scripture, prayer. And so this comes from my own heart, but it really is filtered and originated from the Scripture. You'll see that in a moment. A principle is a belief or an essential. Um, it is one of those concepts that, that guide our lives. It, it, it entails an ideal um, and perhaps also a fundamental standard that helps us to live. So when you consider uh, the principle, you... you, you it, it, it is imperative that you consider um, that that it is it is derived. There, there's a derivative of it from the Lord and from the Word. Um, we'll we'll expand that in a moment, but just just know that that we we're dealing with an ideal. It's an essential. It's this particular. A concept that allows us uh, to have some kind of guidance, even even to the point where the principle might even be a guardrail. Uh, it could be the road, but it could be a guardrail. Now, b- before I delve into this uh, in this in this particular uh, aspect, let me just say that there are there are reasons for people to reject all teaching. Every lesson. Um, can be rejected. All, all, all knowledge can be rejected. When it comes to scriptural principles, there are inherent reasons why people reject scriptural principles. And, and, these, and these things are not, um, they're not always overt. They're not always even a, 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 a very conscious choice. But sometimes our spirits we we reject things in our heart. We're not we're not really 
we're not really trying to be um, um, in rebuttal, but we reject them in multiple ways. So I, what I want us to do is just kind of think together because this takes some cognitive ability to, to receive this order or the principle of order. I'm, I'm, I won't exhaust these, so there may be more, but I'll give you, the, the, by and large, the top five reasons why people re reject the principle of order, or specifically just order. Uh, first of all, it's constraint, because it presents constraint. And all constraint has with it uh, attainable um, uh, concepts, borders and boundaries. Order demands, or dictates um, a constraint. And, and one of the reasons why people do not like to have orders because it boxes them in, it, it, it constrains them, it's a fence. And so a disorderly life um, is one that doesn't have those constraints. It doesn't have the boundary. It, it, it is not attended by, by anything that is set in stone. We see that right now happening in, in our world. Uh, Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. And, and that is really part of the growing up process. When our children were young, they didn't have, they didn't know what a boundary was. They didn't know, uh, they didn't know what a border was. And they would traverse those at any given uh, juncture. And, uh, and that's because their mother did a terrible job raising them. And so I, I tried to help, help her with this, but, but alas... Uh, it took a lot of prayer. <laughs> so th this, this type of, of, of order, there's a, there's a rejection of it because it does constrain. E even the function of attending a church is rejected because it, it, it means that there's a time frame. Now, I like to start on time, as you know, and much to the dismay of, of our media folks, uh, I, if I come out early, I, it's, I just can't hardly wait until the music's done, and we're just going to go. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, we have one minute left, and I, I apologize for that, but, but I'm a little hyper, and let's get going. We have a lesson to teach. Do I have to wait another 30 seconds? So I'm, I'm trying to stay within that border, but, but even, even in, a, in, a, in an attendance of a church, it's very difficult. Now, we see this in a, in a major scale when it comes to relationships and marriages, um, the, the massive increase of, of people who, who are, they, they reject any kind of, any kind of uh, marital commitment. Um, and so one of the main reasons why people reject order is because they don't want constraint. Number two, um, Tyler, it's almost over. Constraint is already upon you, my brother. Marriage is, marriage is coming. Amen. It's an awesome thing. I'm so excited for you. I've got a whole bunch of jokes for you, but we'll, 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 I won't tell them about your wedding. I just, just, they just went through my mind. Number two is self-imposed disciplines. Because order means that you have to do something to create a discipline. What, what are those disciplines? Now, some of those disciplines are, are they, they come from, um, uh, they come from a reward. Uh, so you go to work 
uh, you get up, you, 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 you drive in, you, you work all week, and you get a paycheck. There's a reward of that. You've, you've disciplined yourself enough to do that. But, there's, but some things are not so apparent in reward. The paycheck is apparent. But many of the things that we need are not so apparent. They don't come every two weeks. It's a mindset. It's a change of spirit. It's a lifestyle. It's a saturation of life. So if you take certain, uh, certain objects, you put them in a solution, the saturation will, and, the, and, and the fluid will change the constitution of that, uh, of that item. And the same thing happens when we impose order or disciplines. But one of the reasons why people don't follow the principle of order is because they do not want to discipline themselves. Now, this happens a lot uh, in, 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 uh, in the development of, of children and families where the children are, are they're undisciplined, but it's not really their fault. It, it, it has nothing to do with, with their thinking or their, or their inability to listen. It's really, there's no self-imposed disciplines in the home. And it begins, well, I don't know if it begins, but, 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 but it entails communication and, and it, it entails uh, uh, what, what the environment looks like. Number three, and I'm, I'm running through, there's so much that I, wanna, I want to, to give here, but I, I don't have the time. Uh, we have to go through these things. But the, third, the third reason why people reject this order is, is because, um, well, I'll use the word hypocrisy. And, and I have to use this in a, in a, in a broadened thought because there's a deny, denial or a denied moral code. When, when the father is smoking in the bathroom, he has a tough time telling his son not to date that girl. When mama has a personal addiction to something, whatever that might be, she, has a, she doesn't want to be a, a hypocrite. And so the breakdown of order comes from a lack of a moral code, but it's really a denial or denied because a lack of a moral code is a choice. To be moral or to be immoral is choice. It's not a, it's not a devil, it's not a spirit. It's a, it's a personal choice. There is a menu at a restaurant. No one forces you to get the cheesy fries. Nobody. Now, if you feel like you have an emotional issue one day and you want to eat comfort food, this is still your choice to eat comfort food. Now, comfort food sounds so good, doesn't it? But it really all it is is just muffins and it's ice cream and it's carbohydrates and it's just, it's comfort. And in the comfort lasts only for a moment, you know, the, the Doritos bag only lasts for a moment and then you're done and you, you, you probably don't, you're not comforted. These are choices that people make. And, and when, when, when order is rejected, it could be because internally we know we're not right. We're, we're not living right. We're, we're in fact, something is wrong within the construct of our own lives and we're out of order. When we're out of order or when we reject it, the principle, it's difficult to tell someone else um, how to live, especially those around us. 
Now, not everyone, not everyone. Some people are really out of order and they have no problem telling everyone how to live. You know who you are. This, 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 this is a huge problem, but, but we're, not, we're not going down that road. We're just, we're just tackling this denied. It's, a, it's, it's denied. Um, and the moral code, of course, when you start to delve into the moral code, that comes from God. That comes from Scripture. That comes from your relationship with the Lord. Number four is apathy. This is a permeating human spirit that's afflicted our nation. And it, has, it hasn't just crept into our churches, but it's been, it's, it's incredibly, it's rushed into our churches. The apathetic life. The apathetic life of, to holiness. Uh, it doesn't matter. There, there, why, why should I live a holy life? It, it, it doesn't matter. Or, or, we, or we, we're finding people that just don't care. It's not just complacency. It's, it's throwing the hands up and saying, well, um, uh, you know, I just don't have, I just don't want to do that. It, 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 it's work. So order does take work. And the principle, this guiding, this standard, this belief, there, it does take um, a particular mindset to conduct yourself with order. You have to do that. If you don't, then, then you're out of order or, 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 or you sink into a mire. Let me just tell you, apathy is like quicksand. It's, it's easy to get in it. It's hard to get out. And many people are struggling uh, because they're apathetic to the word and apathetic to the preaching, apathetic to the teaching, and, and their lives begin to fall apart. And finally, finally the, 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 the big offensive factor is obedience. And disobedience and obedience has been at war for a long time. I, did, I think I wrote this on your, your handout, that, that success and failure, they exist in a very close proximity. So obedience and disobedience, is, they're really, they live on the same coin. They're, they're just different sides of that. In regards to spiritual maturity and biblical directives, the steps to both success and failure are usually in direct opposition to one another. Um, so when you get to obedience, obedience is the constraining of your human will. You are a free moral agent. You can do whatever you want to do. God made you that way. And the way he made it originally was to, was to give man, Adam and Eve, everything that they wanted except for one thing. He put a tree in the middle of the garden and said, you can have everything you want, but you can't have that. I had a pushback years ago. Why would a God that's loving put a temptation in the middle of the garden? Well, the reason why he put the tree was not to tempt man, but so that mankind, all of us, could decide whether or not we would obey God. Without the opportunity to disobey, you're not a free moral agent. You have to have the opportunity to do wrong for you to do right. No one does right without the opportunity to do wrong. Okay. <laughs> How are we doing? Are we, um, am I going too fast here? I feel like I'm about to auction off something really quick and I just need a couple people that yell out. All right. Tammy's not here to tell me to slow down, but I don't want to hear her anyway. She bothers me. I'm okay. 
The Lord bless his marriage. She, she, we're, we're all right. She knows my dumb jokes. Okay. Okay. Oh, that, that didn't go over very well. Sorry. Let's just, we, get, we, we need to discuss that there is a demand here. And the demand, uh, the demand of this, of this principle includes various things. It, it, it includes time and money and communication and relationships. This is an essential belief that, that considers and makes a demand of our time and our money. Now, we can talk about money here for a moment because order means that there's some kind of budget. There's, there's some kind of, you dictate where it goes. And if you don't, you can get out of order real quick. And other people will remind you, other entities, uh, Duke Energy will remind you. If you have American Indiana water, they'll remind you that you're out of order. And that the principle of, listen, relationships can spin real quick. Communication can go downhill real quick. And there has to be those five things that we discussed. There has to be constraint. There has to be disciplines. You have to have a moral code. There is work ethic involved and there has to be obedience. Those first five, there's a demand of that. So we, we will, we'll talk about, you know, praying and worshiping and going to church and, 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 and these wonderful attributes of, of life or things that we do on a regular basis. But when you're out of order, it's very difficult to, to do what you want to do for the Lord or for the kingdom. And it's, it's hard to manage your life. So there are demands. And, and, and there's another one. It's the pursuit of spiritual health. And that, uh, that pursuit comes through spiritual disciplines because some of the disciplines are disciplines of life and some are spiritual disciplines. So when I talk about disciplines, I'm not, I'm not always including spiritual disciplines. One of the disciplines, if you're, if you're a diabetic, you understand that one of the disciplines is, is how much sugar that you consume and and what you need to do about that. Our, our good friend lived with us for, for a couple of months way back, uh, Steve Richardson. And he, he was a diabetic. And one day he bent over to tie his shoe and blood vessels broke in his eyes. And, and they had to take a little needle and extract the blood and put in an air bubble. And, and for six weeks... He could only see a little peripheral until the fluid went back into his eyes. And at the same time, he had an ulcer on, his, on the top of his foot. And so I doctored his foot three times a day, put the, cleaned it out, put the solution, rewrapped it three times a day. He couldn't see very well. And, and you know, then he, he, you know, he would have to have a shot. So, you know, we give him the shot and... And, and, then, and then back in those days, I don't know if they still do this, but pricked his finger and, and, and made sure uh, that his blood sugar. And then at, when I got all done with that, he said, well, uh, now I want an apple a la mode piece of pie. And then after that 20-minute argument, I just gave him whatever he wanted. Um, so it, these, 
you know, there are some disciplines of life, but there are other spiritual disciplines. And, and if, you, if you understand this principle, the spiritual disciplines will help you with your walk with God. They'll help you with your worship. Hear pastor now. Because a lot of times we walk into Sunday, we walk into altars, and because our spiritual disciplines are, are non-existent, we're asking God to fill in things that he has already given us the answers for. So we blame the Holy Ghost for what's going wrong. Well, the, the Lord, I just, or, or we impose on the Spirit as if the old cliche was to pray through, as if the Lord is going to suddenly change the course of an undisciplined life. You need strength from the Lord. Don't wait till that altar service to find your strength from the Lord. It starts on Monday morning or Monday afternoon or whatever you can find the time to sit down with your scripture and read your Bible. Now that sounds elementary, but the fact of the matter is daily reading the scripture is a spiritual discipline and it keeps you strong and then, and then once you face those battles, you rely upon what you have done, your spiritual disciplines. And a, a, a home or a life out of order doesn't have any of those spiritual disciplines. And then the other thing that, that there's a demand of, it's the management of emotions. You know, that some problems are not meant to be solved. They're, they're, they're meant to be managed. It's the management of emotions. It's the management of information. <laughs> Uh-oh. There, there's management of emotions. When you're in order, you can manage your emotions. When you're out of order, you could be a roller coaster. High, low, in between. Trouble will come. Jesus even said, in this life, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. And he didn't give us an out. He just said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He didn't say, but don't worry about it. I'm going to remove all the issues of your life. He did not say that. You will have disappointments. Anyone who tells you that once you accept the Lord and once you find Jesus and once you're baptized and once you commit to the Lord, you're, you receive the Holy Spirit, that you're, that you're, going to you're not going to face it. That's, that's a complete lie. Or that once you start committing in your giving, that you're going to reap these bountiful thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's also a lie, this gimmick. You're going to have to manage your emotions that when you rely upon God and the outcome is not in your favor. Let me ask you, what do you do when you do the right thing and you get the wrong result? Here's the answer. You keep doing the right thing. It's not about the result, it's about what you do. But when you get the wrong result, or the thing you didn't want, <laughs> you're gonna have to manage that. Because most people get angry at God and then take it out on the church or their brother or a leader. That's right. What, what happens? Then when things go wrong, then, then people start attacking religion, organized church, organized religion, constructs, 
Why do they do that? Because they've never learned how to manage the emotions. You are going to find people that look like a Christian and they're not. And when you discover them, you're going to have to manage that. And if you're in order, you're going to have to un you'll understand, yes, some people are not right. That doesn't mean everyone is not right. You're going to have to manage information. And, 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 a, and a life in order will be able to manage that information. And information is not just biblical information. It's life. And then, of course, it's exampleship. I, I put that in because I think you're going to have to manage your example to people. And, and how, how you are exampling your life. I wish that I would have known some of the things that I'm teaching you. I wish I would have known them when I was very young because there was a lot of mismanagement and a lot of poor communication. I would present to you some scripture and perhaps we can, we can kind of look at that. It's Second Peter chapter 1. I just gave you the reference on it and we might have it on the screen, but if not, I'll read it for you. This is, the, this is the directive of the apostle. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, temperance. Temperance, add patience. And patience, put on godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound... Think of that. Abounding is growing. They're planted somewhere. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and then forgot that he was purged, that his sins are gone. Now think of that. Blind and forgetful. You, you're, you, you can't see in front of you and you can't remember behind you. Wow. That's the recipe for disaster. You can't see, you can't see where you're going. You're heading off a cliff. And you, cannot, you don't even remember that God did the work in your life. When you can't see in front, you can't see behind. There's a major issue. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence or be careful or, or, or be, be earnest in this to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Let's do it again. If you do these things, you shall never fall. It's incredible that this particular disciple, apostle, is speaking this. He's, he is talking from experience. This is the man who in the day, in that dinner, proclaims, I will never deny you. And in the night, he doesn't know who Jesus is. Peter is not writing from just some standpoint of intellectualism. He's writing from experience, from his error. And so here are steps. They are, they are seven ordered steps. They, they begin with virtue, moral uprightness. Now, we're going to cover more uh, of the material that we just went through. Maybe from a different angle. Moral uprightness or morality. 
virtue. Knowledge, to know. It's the aspect of study uh, and, and learning. To have knowledge, you need to know. Uh, what, what, what was the song? I can't remember. I've quoted it before. I can, now I'm, uh, yeah, the guy said, uh, don't know much about history. Don't know much about biology. But I do know that I love you. Hey, this, first of all, that guy's dumb. Keep him away from my daughter. He knows nothing. He's got emotion. That's it. No. I don't know anything. I just love God. That's not enough. That's not enough. It's not enough for you to have an emotional response to a resurrected Savior or to a cross. It's not enough. When he gave us this word, when he gave us all of these powerful insights and precepts, it's not enough just to say, listen, I don't know anything about the Bible. I just, you know, I just so grateful for Jesus. Well, hold on a second. In the word, he gives us some patterns, some directives, some declaratives. You have to know. It's important for you to know. If you get pulled over tonight, speeding, and you say to the police officer, and I hope no one gets a ticket. I just didn't know. I didn't see this. I didn't see the sign. It, he will tell you, but it's your responsibility to know. You don't, you don't get a free pass because you didn't know. It's posted, and if it's not posted, there are laws already that declare what the speed limit is. Um, now, now if, you're, if, if, if you're humble, maybe you can get out of it and just say, can you give me a break? That's what I always say. But, if, but, but to, to think about this, Hosea will write, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Not math, not science, not, not poli-sci, not, not difficult. I'll tell you why my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge about God. Because you didn't know the word and the word has been given to us. So you add to your life knowledge and knowledge temperance, that self-control. Self-control. Now, now, this is not, this is not, a, not just for men. W women have this, these issues too. But I do love what the scripture says, that he would, that men would lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting, without anger, self-control. Whew, that's a big one. Patience, that's the ability to wait without complaint. <laughs> Uh-oh. We got to get out of that one. That's a bad one. People can wait, but without complaint. No way. No way. Man, I, I, I've been in this McDonald's line for a minute and 30 seconds, and I, have done, I don't have a nutritious meal in front of me. <laughs> you know, you can keep that. That'll last like... Probably about three or four years. Just reheat it. Godliness, that's inward and outward holiness. That's inward and outward holiness. Godliness. 
It's not, just, it's not just an inward, but it's an outward holiness. You add brotherly kindness. That's the treatment of the body of Jesus Christ. Let, let, me just, let me just impose on you for a moment. Can I impose on you, please? Can I do that? All in favor? Aye? Okay, motion carried. <laughs> we're, we're known by how we treat one another. We're, we're not known by any doctrinal position except we're disciples of Christ if we have love one, two, it's a verb, to another. We're known. So brotherly kindness is not what we're talking, we're not, ta I'm not talking about how we treat the world, or how we treat people who don't know the Lord. I'm talking about what we do in here. If there's no love in here, if there's no brotherly kindness in here, then, then our church is out of order. Our lives are out of order. In this house, I hope you can hear this. I hope you feel this. There should never be a person that you have to avoid or you feel like you don't like or you don't get along with them. Love them or, or you, you're going to have this issue for a long time and then, and then don't declare that you want to go to heaven and that person is going to go to heaven. I cannot imagine getting to heaven and saying, well, listen, I, I, and I, I love everybody except these people over there. I don't love them. I don't, I don't think you're going to get there. And it, it, this is a good time to practice brotherly kindness. It's in the church, ladies and gentlemen. We're not talking about outside the church. We're talking about add to your faith brotherly kindness. This is an issue. It, this happens in youth groups and happens in young, young adult classes where, where kids get angry and we're, and we're dating, which incidentally, we, we discourage dating. I discourage dating with your children. I'm not proud of that for you. I'm not happy to see your kids walking around holding hands and they're 15 years old. And I, I've been through this too many times and then they break up and then you don't like each other. And they come home and say how, how bad the other family is and then, and then what happens is there's no brotherly kindness left. <laughs> you said I could impose. You, you, it was ratified. I'm, I'm talking to you now because... Brotherly kindness. See, when we get that out of order, what happens is there's divisions and schisms in the church. I don't even know they're happening, and they're happening internally and outside somewhere. You go into a restaurant and you see somebody that belongs to your church where you attend, you should be, you should be happy to say, hello. How are you doing? Nice to see you. <laughs> well, all right. I think I'm just going to stay there till I feel like we have accomplished the goal. I'm, I'm putting my thumb on something here and it's like, it's like a tack. I don't know who's listening to this, but maybe you're listening a little further. There are people at different levels in their walk with God. Let them walk with God. It's not where you are in Jesus Christ that ever concerns me. It's what direction you're standing And what I feel like is sometimes, sometimes the body of Jesus Christ, which of course is much larger than this local assembly, that the body of Jesus Christ is at odds with one another as if somehow the gospel is in competition. <laughs> All right. 
Okay, this is the treatment of the body of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to move on? All right, let's go. Charity, that's love. It's the basic, build, it's the basic building block of all relationships is love. Let me, let me just tell all the people who are used in the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, I'm thankful for you and I want you to be used in those gifts. But if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you shouldn't even be using those gifts until you filter it through love. Read the Bible. If I have not love... Everything becomes out of order. Any word given has got to be given through love. Even if it's a word of rebuke, prophecies fail, tongues fail, everything fails. Amen. That's the word of God. It's nice when I'm, when I'm, when I'm teaching the word because then if you argue, then I can just, I can tell God on you and you're getting in trouble. Let me just tell you about 10 steps to failure, but I'll give you the other side too, so it doesn't feel like it's, it's, so, it's so abrasive. Um, the, the first step is, is self-absolution. And that comes from this idea that nobody's perfect. And we, people say, well, nobody's perfect. We absolve ourselves uh, from, or acquit ourselves. And if you can, you give ourselves the free pass, Proverbs 17. And then we do that also because we compare ourselves among ourselves. And, and then this, this has happened many, many times where we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person over there. As if our example is somebody in the church. This is a human flaw. Are you ready? People invariably sink to the lowest common denominator. We're finding that everywhere in society. They're going to the lowest common denominator and anyone who's raising a standard is now being accused of some kind of, um, maybe an offense. So the word perfect is mentioned, I've found it 99 times in the Bible. Some of those references are, are to mean blameless. Some mean that word perfect means devoted. Uh, when Moses gave the law, he made sure the people knew what perfect meant. A gift to God, a lamb, was to be perfect. That meant without blemish, without defect, without flaw. It worked, and, 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 and they had to find the lamb. In most cases, they were told to raise a specific lamb in a protected fashion. They wanted that lamb to be perfect. It wasn't until their hearts were hard that they stopped paying attention and they absolved themselves by saying, at least I'm giving God something. So if, if we're going to look towards a disordered life and, and a life that's fa failing, instead of measuring ourselves by the word, we, me we, we absolve ourselves by declaring that, well, nobody's perfect. When, when we hear that, when I hear that, what I realize is we're diluting the directive of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Just so you know, when Jesus said, be ye perfect as my Father also which is in heaven is perfect, he understood our imperfection. He understood that. But we should never try to absolve ourselves from doing right because we are imperfect. Number two is unforgiveness and I've spent so much time here, I, I don't want to talk about it too much. Just there's, this is this major issue of unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is 
as, as the years have gone by, I've recognized it. It's rehearsing and remembering the offense. Unforgiveness. You know, when you forgive someone, it's hard sometimes to forget things that have happened. But the more that you remember and you rehearse that offense, the more ingrained it gets in your spirit. It actually become the constitution of your life. Micah 7, 19, he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. That's where we get the sea of forgetfulness. That's the, that little phrase comes, uh, it's derived from, from Micah 7, 19. This is what the Lord does. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus, um, there is remission of sins. And remission of sins is a, is a forgetful place that God decides to hide something from himself. But when we have unforgiveness in our heart, our lives are out of order because we have, we, we, we have, we have recounted something. And when we do it in a repetitive fashion and we bring these things up at every, every opportunity, then what's happened is that we rehearse it and truly we're not forgiving. And it's hard Sometimes when you've been wounded, um, it's hard when you've been, when you've been uh, maliciously aligned or some major offense. But when we fail to forgive, we, we also levy upon ourselves uh, a gross injustice. I have to remind myself of this on many occasions because forgiveness is not setting someone free. It's setting me free. And when I say I'm setting someone free, those words are fine, but really, in reality, I'm really freeing myself. A counselor uh, tells a story of a client who said to her, um, the gentleman said to her, I, I forgave them the first time, but after that, I... I stopped forgiving. And I think the client made a good point because things do stack up. However, there is an issue that Jesus raises that confronts a lot of our, uh, a, a lot of our uh, responses. The disciples came and said, Lord, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. How many times is 70 times seven? Careful, it's not 490. It's infinite. Jesus was not giving you a numerical answer. He was giving us a spirit of, of how oft we should do this. It was, it was, without, it it was without number. And so... Forgiveness is, is, a, is, a, is a blessing in our lives, but unforgiveness is our own self-made curse. Let's go on to number three, self-pity. No one understands me, self-pity. Now, self-pity has been used many, many times because that's the way that we remove ourselves from our umbrellas of protection, and self-pity is the way that we find attraction uh, sometimes self-pity is a way for people to gain attention. Um, 
And to say no one understands me is the way for us to talk in circles. It's an infinite loop. These things never end. And so what we forget is that anyone who's gone through anything um, has, has a lot of witnesses around them. We are compassed, the Bible says, with so great a cloud of witnesses. And so because of that, we are commanded to lay aside every weight and sin. Weight and sin are two different things. Weight is, is not necessarily sin. It's things that I'm doing that inhibits my walk with God. Sin is the obvious things that corrupts my soul. But the great cloud of witnesses that can pass us, some of them are cheering us on and some of them stand as, as a convicting voice. Nobody understands me. I'm the only one who's ever gone through this. No, you are not. There's a lot of people throughout the ages that have gone through things just like us. They've been there in lowly nights. They've lost loved ones. They've had unexplainable sicknesses and they couldn't understand it. They've, they've lost jobs. They've, they've, gone through, they've gone through all kinds of myriad of, of, of rejections and they're standing strong. And so if they did it, you can also. That doesn't mean your pain is not real. That doesn't mean your issue is not present. That does not mean you're not going to struggle. Just know this. Someone is standing on your behalf even if you don't know them. There is a cloud of witnesses like a big grandstand and they're standing up knowing you've gone through it, I've gone through it, you don't know my name. I lived a couple hundred years before you. But there is a cloud of witnesses that have gone through all kinds of turmoil. And even in the church, you may not know their names even in the church, but there are people that grace this building every Sunday and they have gone through horrible things, some of them even presently. Even presently. So people do understand. People do understand. Amen. Uh, uh, along with that, I'll, I'll offer you a couple ways that happens. Uh, the, the result of that is the result or, 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 or the cause. I'll, I'll, I'll do both of those. The result of the cause. First, there's isolation. When you think that no one understands you, 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 you'll hide out. It's isolation. You isolate yourself. Be very careful when you do that. Isolation is just a couple steps away from never, never getting your, your, your life back in order. You, you'll isolate yourself right out of order. Uh, uh, maybe a cause comes, uh, it, it's both sides. Pride, pride. It's, it's an amazing thing what pride is. Pride's so deep. In fact, of all the sins, pride is, is, a, is a root cause of so many things. Some folks, I've found out, they're prideful that no one understands them. It's an element of pride. Uh, years ago, I was preaching, uh, teaching about pride, and I kept saying, it's pride. P-R-I-D, pride. Pride. Okay, I, I, I missed the E. I kept leaving the E off, P-R-I-D, I know it spells, I know it's spelled P-R-I-D-E, but I've kept forgetting to spell pride correctly, P-R-I-D, and people in the audience were kind of getting shifty, you know, and, you know, pastor can't spell. <laughs> Finally, someone said, there's an E at the end of it. Oh, sorry, sorry, pride, pride. P-R-I-D-E. So I want to just, if, if anyone wants to know, it, pride is spelled P-R-I-D-E. P-R-I-D-E. But I was in Rule King, thank God for Rule King. 
And I found PRID, P-R-I-D. Huh. And I was so happy about PRID because I was coming back and I wanted to come back tell all the smart Alex out in the audience that never have a microphone in their hand and they can spell correctly. PRID, P-R-I-D, is a salve. And it extracts the infection of pride. <laughs> <laughs> So if you mess with me, I got a big jar of this nasty stuff I'm going to put on you. Now look. Some of these things, these spirits, these, these human spirits, they, 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 they originate from pride and they result in pride. And then there's contempt. Because when you go down that road, you're so far out of order. When you go down that road, there's a contempt that you think no one understands I'm the only one. I have gone through it. You just don't get it. I have gone through it. And that contempt found its way into a cave when the prophet said, I'm the only one that's bowed. And the Lord came and said, no, you're not the only one. I got 7,000 that's never bowed their knee to Baal. Boy, isn't that really a, a letdown? You thought you were the only one worshiping, the only one giving, the only one praying, the only one fasting, the only one going through trouble, the only one going through persecution. And there's a lot of other people that had, be, that had to confront Baal. Think of what he said. That means, it implies that there's 7,000 that have been forced and that they have been coerced, but they've never bowed their knee. That doesn't mean that they've had an easy life, but you're not alone. Amen. Number four is self-worth. I'm not worthy. Ooh. I, I would agree. You're not. You're not worthy. Jesus even said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one that is God. Of course, how convenient for him to reveal himself. But it is interesting that the goodness and the worthy subject keeps coming up. And I said this before, and I think I said it on Sunday. Let me repeat it. You're never going to be good enough or worthy enough. He's worthy. He's good. That's why we worship. Not based upon my goodness and my worthiness. Lord, if it, if, if, if it was my worthiness, I'd, I, I wouldn't even be able to enter into his presence. Much less worship him or praise him. Paul said, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, and that means your sweet little darlings that you've been raising. They've sinned also. Now, that's really offensive, especially if you're a grandmother. This is the syndrome. I'm not worthy syndrome. It's to remove ourselves. And that, that, that principle of order becomes corrupted when, when goodness and worthiness enters the conversation about what we should or should not do. In fact, I've tried to convince a gentleman years ago that he needed to pray and the Lord was going to, going to bless his life. And he kept on saying, there's a lot of other people that are more worthy than I. And I don't, just, I don't feel like I need to do that. And I think that he was sincere in that thought. I don't think it was coming from pride. He really just didn't feel like anyone should waste their time on him. But the problem with that is no one in the church is ever good or worthy. I better do that one more time. Because, because everyone is going to get the same reward if they work in the field. 
Uh-oh. We're not happy about that. I'm going to tell you, people are not happy about that. That Jesus said they weren't happy. He talked about how they weren't happy. Nine o'clock in the morning. Some of you have been working for, since nine o'clock in the morning. Some of you have been starting out working in this field since six o'clock in the morning. But at, at 1130 at night, someone's going to walk in and they're going to start working in the same field. They're barely going to get down a row and they're going to get the same reward you're going to get. And that's bothering people. To think, you mean someone who just came in, they don't really even know the books of the Bible, they've never even read it through, you mean they're going to they're gonna get the same reward that I'm getting? Yes, that's the word of God. Don't get angry about that because God can give a revelation to someone who's a new convert even though you are fifth or sixth generation Pentecostal. And it could be the person that just real fresh in the Lord that has a word from God for you even though you are born in this thing. It's not about goodness or worthiness. And when we get that, then we're completely out of order. That means the Spirit, the Holy Spirit cannot speak, except the people who are good. <laughs> well, okay. Amen. I like that one too, but I'll move on. Number five. Oh, man, look at the time. I've got to grow. Number five, self-engrossed. It's all about me. Occupied comes from a Latin word meaning to be consumed or to consume the whole. The other, part of, the other part of this is, 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 is concerns with insensitivity. It could be the callous or without mercy and then selfish or absorbed, self-engrossed. It's all about me. This is a great way to fail when you think everything's about you. Now, now I'm, listen, saints, I, I want to tell you, I'm grateful that we, that we convene here. When we come in on Sunday morning, let's think together that this service is about the Lord and our job here is to reach someone who doesn't know the Lord. We ought to be like bees on a honey. Any person walking in, our sensitivity ought to be going up. We ought to be praying, interceding for the new person that walked in. And, and last Sunday, there were so many brand new people that walked in. There were some people that were prodigals that were walking in. The moment I saw a couple prodigals, I just began to pray where I was standing just for them. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, let the Holy Ghost do a work. Because my thought was, this service is designed to reach them. We have to think like that. Like, we, when, when, when we come, it's not about us. <laughs> if it's about us, let's take the screens down and no more words because we can learn the songs and, and we don't need these screens. Unless it's a new song, we don't need the screens. We can just sing all the songs that we already know, and there's no, we don't include anyone, there's no inclusion, because it's all about us. It can't be all about us. If it's all about us, let's not put a sign out in front. It's, there's this engrossed thought, it's all about me, is exasperated through media. It's exasperated through selfies. It's exasperated through pictures of, of, of yourself. It, it, I'm sorry if this, I don't know how this is going to go, but I, I'm concerned with people who have a picture of themselves on their cell phone. The conviction just hit this whole thing. Please, man, God, you just changed it, didn't you? Changed, you changed your backdrop there. Let's go on. I think I've already made like half the crowd angry. 
Number six is work ethic. Uh, we talked a little bit about work, but the absence of daily task violates internal initiative of all people. And I think today there's, there's something happening when, when people become stagnant. You were made to work. In fact, if you really want to get into the scripture, according to the Bible, the work week was not Monday through Friday. <laughs> it was Sunday. It, 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 there was six days, not, not five. It was one day you rest. How are we doing? More offensive stuff coming from the pulpit. How dare you take away my Saturday leisure time? I just, I just want you to know that this idea that we should do less, it, what it does is in the natural world, in the physical world, it, erupts, it, it interrupts the spiritual world and the work of the church. There's always work in the church. There's always work. We need to be, the Lord needs to find us busy doing the work of the kingdom. And work ethic is, is in short, it, it's being eroded every day. I'm not talking about working for your salvation. I'm not talking about that. You cannot work that. I'm not, I'm not talking about working to get to heaven. I'm talking about the disciplines, the principle of order and working things around the house of God and working, working your daily job and sometimes even spreading the gospel and reaching someone. It is work. It, it is work. It is work to find someone and to build a relationship with them so that you can teach them the scripture. It is work. Trust me when I tell you, it is work. It's labor intensive. But when we, when we dismantle that and we take that out of, out, of, out of our hands or we dilute that, our lives become out of order. And when, when that principle is lost, then we create a very lazy environment where someone else is doing it and we come for a show. Number seven, the hearer only. Matthew 21, what do you think? Man had two sons. One, one son was named Scotty, one son was named Jeffrey. And he said to his first son, will you work? He said, I'm, I'm not going to work. He changed his mind and went. That was Jeffrey. He went to his other son and said, will you work? He said, I'll go. He never went. That was Scotty. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, I know. I, I rearranged that. I re <laughs> Misinterpretation of scripture. <laughs> got this thing where we're yeah yeah that's good that's good that's good but it, we only heard it but we're not a doer of it you can't just hear it you've got to do it you've got to be it you've got to work it there's a lot of listening and there's 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 less action number eight it's the spirit of the pharisee man you want to get out of order you get the spirit of the pharisee and in, and in that realm, and this is the human spirit, I'm not talking about demonic spirits here. It's the compartmentalization. It's, it's, you're doing one duty, but you're failing in other spiritual things. And Jesus confronted them. He said, he said you, 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 you give, you pay tithes on the smallest of things, on spices. But, you, but you've neglected the weightier things of the law. You compartmentalized it. Well, I'm doing good in one area. I'm doing bad in another area. That's not how it works. 
You can't compartmentalize. That's the Pharisee. The Pharisee says, well, listen, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing well now. I, I, listen, I know I cheat a little bit over here. <laughs> Man walks in Kentucky Fried Chicken. He orders a full meal deal. And there's a shift change. And one of the people give him a, the box, you know. But it was the box of money. Gave him all the money. He walked out, had in the bag, got in the car, pulling away. He said, honey, what do we got? She said, well, we don't have any chicken here. We sure have a lot of money. Pulled around, went back, went in. In between, the, the, the manager said, well, we lost all that money. They're never coming back. Man brought in the box, walked right back in the door, put the box down. Said, I'd like, I ordered some chicken. I'd like to have my chicken. Open up the box. There's all the money in the cash drawers. And the manager couldn't believe it. Somebody get the phone. Take a picture. We got we to put your picture up. The man said, oh, no. I just, I just want my extra crispy chicken. That's it. Followed him out to the car. All the way. Please let us take a picture. What's your name? Nope, we can't find this level of integrity anywhere. I mean, you could have driven off. You had all this cash. The man said, now, listen, I don't want a picture. Last thing I want is a picture because the woman I have in the car with me is not my wife. Uh, hmm. You have enough integrity not to cheat Kentucky Fried Chicken, but you don't have enough integrity not to cheat on your wife. That's in compartmentalization. Now, I'm good over here, but really, I don't, I, I don't give much mercy out over there. I'm, I'm just, I'm straight. No, you're, you're, a, you're a Pharisee. That's what you are. And you're out of order. Number nine is easily offended. Everyone say easily offended. Listen, offenses are going to come. But you know what? Sometimes we have to work on not being offended at every turn. We, we have to be, listen... Some people are offensive, but can, can, can you just, like, give them a pass? Next week, I'm going to buy, like, hundreds of, of Monopoly games, and I'm going to pass. I'm going to give everybody a get-out-of-jail-free card. And just give somebody that when they offend you. Just, just give them a get-out-of-jail-free card. They're offensive. All right, that's done. Let's move on. Because if you are easily offended and, and, and anything can disrupt you, you will be offended and you'll, that, that offense will drive you right out of the house of God. It'll mess up your life because offenses are going to be part of this life. I'm offended, I've been offended, and I have offended. <laughs> I'm offended at some people's offensiveness. I'm offended that you were offended. This is a never-ending cycle or loop here. Okay. So people said the wrong thing. They, they hurt your feelings. All right. Get over that now. Don't let that interrupt your walk with God. Forgive them. Go on. Don't be easily offended. That's, that's, that, I'm giving you a directive because if you are easily offended, you're always going to be on edge about everything that's being said. This is where we are today. Number 10, finally, and, and I'm... I'm Five minutes past time. It's unnecessary additions. It's unnecessary additions. It's the entanglement. 
It's the entanglement. I, I wonder if all entanglements are spiritual or if some entanglements are both physical and spiritual. I wonder if yokes of bondage could mean sinful activities or, or could they include also regular activities that, that conflict your life? Mm-hmm. We, we, we add on because we feel guilty. We add on because we, we feel guilty. Sometimes we add on to our lives because we're trying to uphold an image. So we're putting things on ourselves that we think is going to make, give us a better in, image. Or, and then finally, we, we, we're out of order. The, the principle is laid to waste because we live an unbalanced life. It's unbalanced. Let me just close by saying this. Set your priorities correctly. Set your priorities around the word and around prayer and personal devotion. Set your priorities first in your home and then set your priorities in the house of God and the work of the kingdom. Amen. We're talking about a, the principle of order. Everybody said amen. Stand with me if you will. I'm so glad that you were here. And if I've offended you, it was just a test. Amen. We do pray that the Lord will give us guidance and that we'll follow the word of God, the principles in the word of the Lord. These will be our essentials. Now, Jesus, we we thank you, Lord, for the time together. Help us, Lord, to... Help us to be focused, Lord, and focus our hearts and our minds on the principles of your word and the things that we learn, Lord. Let them, let them sink into our hearts and let us do them, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Build us up as a holy temple before you, Lord, and strengthen the body of believers. And we ask you these favors in your holy name. Everyone said amen.